it's like, you know, if you're diligent um, and you work hard and you are learning and you can hold other people accountable, you've got a lot of what it takes in this business. And so seeing, seeing that that is what was necessary and that I felt like I had those skills gave me the confidence to uh, more aggressively pursue being on the active side. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners, thank you for jumping on for episode four of Carried Interest, Building Wealth Through Knowledge and Network. This is a jam-packed episode for anyone looking to either be a passive or active investor and again, multifamily, right? And we, we work with and talk to Ryan Daigle of Flywheel Equity, the founder of Flywheel Equity, who's quickly growing his multifamily real estate firm in North Carolina. He gives us so much information on this episode, just very tactical information on his background, how he went from a single family home in Kansas City to now looking to close on 250 units in the next two years. So we're really excited for you guys and girls to listen to this episode. I've got my amazing co-host as usual, Nate Gotsman, Jesse Gentleman. They've both got the mics. The hair's looking good. The questions are flying in. You guys are going to love this episode. Jesse, Nate, give the listeners a little bit of preview about uh, just this EP. Zach, you nailed it on the head with the word tactical. Ryan, awesome guy. He has a very, very precise approach. Uh, he hones it on the processes um, and he really tries to create those relationships and those partnerships that we talk about quite a bit on this, this show. Um, give it a listen. He's got a very solid portfolio that he's looking to build and he's done it, like Zach said, very quickly starting uh, only last year in 2019. Um, it, it's gonna be a really good one. So the one thing that I would just point out is just what well, Ryan, focuses on when looking at, at deals like the markets kind of the criteria that that he's um kind of honing in on but more importantly i think it, what's, what's great about the episode is just really the the want to to learn more and um kind of take on more than than what you kind of have done in the past so you know, I think there's a lot of good takeaways from this episode and, and really hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did. Absolutely. There's a path for both investors, active, passive. It's all about your nature and how you want to go down this path of real estate. And Ryan explains that very well. So we appreciate you guys joining on. Here we go. So Ryan, thank you. Thank you for, for joining today. Uh, for anyone listening, we have Ryan Daigle, right? So Bagel with the D, right? Ryan Daigle, thank you for joining. Um, seriously, going to be a pleasure to have you on. You have an extremely unique background. Just to give anyone listening a little bit of insight into it, um, you, came, you come from the tech world. You're in the Raleigh-Durham area of North Carolina, and you've got like 20 years of experience in tech. You were CTO of a startup that scaled from three to I believe was it was it 80 employees um yeah right under 80 at the time i left right so you you know you know a few things about scaling businesses and it seems like you know just from reading your bio and we're going to dive into this but you got a little bit um bored of your of your investment profile in terms of stocks 401ks and you wanted something more hands-on so you jumped into real estate currently 
you're, you're helping manage Flywheel Equity, which is really a multifamily uh, syndication business, right? You guys are real operators of multiple multifamilies uh, in that triad area of, you know, North Carolina acquiring, you know, units from 12 to 16 to 51, and now looking for 100 unit acquisitions uh, throughout that southeastern region, specifically North Carolina. We're really excited to have you on um, just as like an active investor, somebody who's taken a really unique role from software and tech and taken those processes and systems and put them into multifamily. Uh, so we'd love to hear just to start off a little bit about your journey into why real, why real estate from tech and how you just got started on that first one. Sure. Well, why real estate from tech? Uh, I think it probably starts with after 20 years and six years at a startup, I was just ready for something new, right? So I'd had a lot of great experiences, learned a lot, um, helped grow some organizations with some really great people. Uh, by and large, can say most th- most companies I were involved in did really well. Of course, it was a great time to be in tech, right? The last 20 years. Um, but my, my experiences were all pretty good, but I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to be learning, likes to feel like I'm doing new things, you know, a lot, that's why kind of I'm a startup guy when you're in the early stages of a startup. And, and I was looking back over my, my resume recently and realized, I don't think I've, I've ever worked for a large company. And my definition of large is probably 100, 100 people plus, right? Uh, or certainly when I joined them. So I've always been in kind of an early stage startup person. Love the feeling of being dropped into chaos and where there's, you know, everything needs to be done and there's so few people to do it. And, you know, you just got to rise to the occasion. So, um, I, you know, I had done that for 20 years, really enjoyed it, but also kind of recognized that it was a good time to maybe explore some other options and just, you know, kind of reinvent myself. I think there's a, there's a challenge in that, there's motivation in that, and I kind of wanted to explore what, what was out there. So at the end of my latest tenure as the CTO of a startup here in Durham, I had saved up enough to really just take a step back, reevaluate my professional life, my career, and just see what I was really motivated and interested to do. And, um, and during that time, I took what was a side hustle in real estate and made it the main hustle. And uh, that's been going really well. And I'm continuing to scale what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm pretty focused now on the multifamily space. I am an active operator. I'm the deal sponsor for the majority of the deals that I'm in. And I'm looking to, to continue to scale that. So it seems like you you personally and just enjoy a challenge because anyone who goes 20 years in an industry and can say, you know what, scratch it, let's do something new. Uh, that's a that's a big deal. I mean, for me, like that's a big deal. And I think about it to completely pivot and go full time entrepreneurial as an investor in a different direction. I, I assume it seems like you are a, a risk taker of sorts, but, you know, somebody who understands how to scale businesses. And I'm curious. You say you went from the side hustle to the full-time. So how did you transition from side hustle to full-time? Like what was that first deal that, that got you through the door? I, I saw it was a single family in Kansas City. I'm curious why that, um, you know, just, just for listeners out there. Yeah, well, let, let, me, let me say something about risk. I think risk is such a relative measure, right? So what is risky to my mom is not risky at all to me, right? We all have different levels of tolerance for risk. And risk is just one part of the component, right? Reward is the other. So if something, and where people get into trouble is when the risk and the reward is mismatched, right? So if I'm looking at something and it's very risky, but there's a commensurate, very high reward, then that's a more of a balanced proposition. And that's something that I may not feel is 
too risky to get into. So it's both a relative measure and a balance with reward. So I would definitely encourage people as they think about whether it's their own choices, whether it's uh, a specific investment or asset class to think about risk and reward um, in that way. And, you know, we, we all come to different conclusions because we all have different levels of tolerance and that's fine, but to really dig into that and make sure you're making the right decision around your own um, evaluation of the risk. But so on the real estate side, yeah. So when I had a full-time job, um, I was pretty unsatisfied with how my stock portfolio over the course of 20 years had grown. Just felt like it should have been a lot bigger than it was after 20 years of doing everything by the book. With a little research, I come to find out that, you know, in my head, what was a 12, you know, S&P 500, an average 12% return was actually closer to 8% when you start looking over 10, 15, 20 plus years. And then everybody knows about fees and, and tax consequences. So I was like, oh, well, I, I don't know why I thought 12 to 15% should have been my average. And maybe the industry has been telling me that for 20 years and I never really thought to verify if in fact that was true. But um, you know, once I dug in a little bit, it's like, okay, well, th this asset class is clearly not going to get me to where my goals are. And so, you know, looked around at, at different options and real estate kind of came up as something that was possible, you know, accessible as an asset class. I didn't, didn't need to already have a million dollars to start dabbling in it. Uh, and it seemed to have the qualities that I wanted, better returns, lower volatility, um, and a host of other, of other benefits. Uh, so started with single family, Burr style, rental in Kansas City. I'm here in the Raleigh area of North Carolina. I wanted to do a remote bird because I knew, first of all, my local market was not a good cash flowing market. And also I didn't want to be constrained by geography. So from the start, and I'm also pretty comfortable managing remote teams from my time in technology. So that, that wasn't intimidating to me. So I found a good cash flowing market, found a, a provider in that market and, and some other contacts that I, I felt like would be helpful in my journey. Got a single family burr style. I still own it today on paper. It worked, you know, it, it got me cash flow per month. I have equity, you know, raging success. But then I looked at this raging success that was giving me $150 a month in cash flow. I was like, good God, that was a lot of work. And all I have is $150 a month in cash flow. And so I like to move quick and very, very quickly. It's like, okay, this doesn't scale. What does scale that still has the properties that, that I have with this single family? but just gets me more for my effort. And, and so I, I pretty quickly turned to multifamily. And since I've done a bit of coaching, I've invested as a limited partner in several larger deals with other general partners and myself now am more on the general partner active management side. I'm a co-GP on a 16 unit in Fayetteville, which is close by here. It's a military market. Um, I own outright a 12 unit in um, an outlying town of Durham. Then I recently closed on a 50 unit in Greensboro, which is part of the triad area here in North Carolina. So that, that's kind of been the, the journey to date. I think, uh, what's, I think what's incredible is for a lot of listeners out there, I mean, they, they might be seasoned investors or they might just be starting, but to be able to go from a single family investment and just understand that there's more economies of scale, basically a bigger bang for your buck and you can, you can work with other investors on larger projects. It's really important for even for us to hear that those partnerships are so important in scaling. And you, you took a really smart route, which you know, our previous guest Mark discussed as well, partnering as a limited partner where you can learn from these operators and really provide them some value add. I'm curious how, as an investor, an LP, you chose the right GPs. And if there are any failures along the way of jumping from single family to becoming an LP on some bigger deals, 
what takeaways you had and how you've brought that into your own business as a general partner and operator now? Yeah, so when I was investing as a limited partner, I knew that I was really interested in being more on the active side. So it was a goal of mine to use my limited partnership investments to observe how they operated and to have that be a part of my educational process. So whenever I invested in on a deal or when I was vetting the sponsors of the deal, I would reach out to them and let them know my interest and basically ask outright, you know, hey, what opportunities are you comfortable providing me to observe how you work, whether it's going with you tours or uh, underwriting or things like that. And, you know, the, the operators that responded favorably to that uh, were the ones that I tended to build the relationships with and, you know, feel more comfortable investing with. So, and, and for me coming from technology and, and how I liked to build organizations and the organizations I were part of, one of the things I respected most about how they worked was their level of transparency. Right? And so that was a, a value that I took from tech and I wanted to see it in my general partners. And I also knew that when I became a general partner, that would be kind of a foundational principle of the company that I started, which you know, is now Flywheel Equity. Uh, you know, it's, just, it's just the way that I'm most comfortable operating and is, the, is what I like to see in my general partners. So, um, you know, I would say that the biggest thing that I learned from my experience as a limited partner that I transferred or that, that let me make that next step to the general partner was really just demystifying the process, right? There's not a lot of secret sauce in this business. So when you see people that are doing big deals and you observe how they work and you see the details of that and you realize, oh, like not, not to say that's it to demean the skill and, and the experience and the value that, that stuff provides, but it's like, you know, if you're diligent um, and you work hard and you are learning and you can hold other people accountable, you've got a lot of what it takes in this business. And so seeing, seeing that that is what was necessary and that I felt like I had those skills gave me the confidence to uh, more aggressively pursue being on the active side. And, you know, from then on, it's just a matter of time and effort, right? And, and who doesn't have, who doesn't have that? Uh, I, I will say it's, I think a lot of people do a disservice to, to real estate investors, especially ones that are new or looking to get in. They, you'll definitely hear a lot about uh, if you have no money, you know, you can still do it, just do X, Y, and Z. And there are certainly tactics and strategies you can take to, if you have very little capital to invest, to get into the real estate space. But that's a very, very long road. So set your expectations appropriately, right? There's really, real estate is a slow build. And really the only way to, to get started quickly is if you already have a lot of money. And, and so that there's, a, there's a little bit of a dichotomy there in, in the real estate space. And sometimes the messages can get mixed and you might have some, some newbies that think it's easy to start from zero and, and just quickly build out your, your real estate empire. In actuality, it takes a lot more capital or time to really get to that point. So you've got to have one or the other. I mean, to, to piggyback on that, uh, Rome wasn't built in a day um, and, and you're never going to get your portfolio to where you want it to be as quickly as you want it to be. Um, it's certainly a patient process, uh, but one that can be extremely rewarding. Um, I wanted to double back on uh, your comment on uh, kind of um, researching the people that you were thinking about investing with. And I was curious, were you uh, reading into those folks before you were investing or were you looking at certain properties and then reaching out to, to the folks uh, who were um, managing those, those acquisitions? So I, as far as my process for um, finding syndications to invest in myself, 
Yes, yeah. that's right. Okay. Yeah. So I I tend to take kind of an outside in approach to most things. So in technology, outside in, if I was working on a project or a product, I would try to put my mind as far as the customer's perspective of the product and kind of work in towards the implementation. Uh, and then with real estate, I do the same thing kind of outside in. I, I think of like the macro um, macro markets and trends and areas before I get down to the operator. So what, what my process and uh, was to start by identifying the markets that I wanted to be in. And there, there were about five that I, I felt like were really strong long-term demographic trends were in place to support this, uh, to support continued growth in the multifamily market, good supply demand characteristics, good diverse economies. And so, um, you know, identified like Jacksonville, Florida, Columbus, Ohio, Raleigh, Durham, obviously my backyard, Phoenix, Arizona, um, and you know, like Kansas, Dallas, you know, there, there were a couple, probably about a half dozen. And, and so I kind of narrowed from there, um, you know, was listening to tons of podcasts, reading lots of books. And anytime an operator would come up and would have properties in an area or would be active in one of those areas, I would reach out at that point and then dig into their experience, um, you know, establish a personal rapport, get a sense for, uh, for, for their level of transparency and how they worked. And, and then, you know, after some period of time, it would, would reach a level of comfort. Like, okay, these guys seem consistent. Um, they're obviously in the markets that I want and, and their, uh, their, their approach to business is, is something that, that I feel comfortable with. One of the other things I did throughout that process was I wasn't looking for the exact same formula every time though. I was looking for diversification, right? So real estate is a great asset class, but diversification is more important than just a single asset class. So even within real estate, I was looking to diversify my portfolio of real estate across different geographies, different operators, different um, asset types like, you know, B, C, A, uh, different business models, heavy value add versus stabilized, different return profiles, right? Like, you know, minimal cash flow, but a big um, appreciation win at the end versus stable cash flow, just, you know, small market level appreciation at the end. So uh, I, I feel like I was able to get that exposure by carefully choosing, again, the metro, the operator, and then those individual characteristics. So you kind of talk about like what your path has been, right? You know, you start with single families and then kind of move into investing passively now to the operator side. I'd love to hear just hurdles that you've kind of, that have, that have come up along the way for you and, and how, you know, you, you took that leap over the hurdle to, um, to, to take that next step to, to accomplish what, what you're, goals are? Yeah, there, there are, there can be a lot of hurdles. Um, I feel like when you're starting any business, and this is certainly true in, in the real estate space, um, you know, if you're a small company, right, so you're kind of bootstrapping, there, there are several things that you need to have active that need to be growing at a time, right? There's, in real estate, it it's, comes down to a few different buckets. You've got your experience, your knowledge slash experience. Well, that's, that's a function of time and or obviously experience. It's kind of a circuitous logic there to get, you need to get experience to have the experience, but to get the first thing you need to have the experience. And it's like, well, what the hell am I doing here? But the, the other bucket is money, right? You, know, you need to have money to do a deal. Um, the other bucket also, the, the third one would be the deal itself, finding a good deal. So, you know, the, the day that I was like, okay, single family, that's not gonna work for me what's better, multifamily is better, and I look at, okay, well, what do I have of these three things? Like, well, I have time, 
um, and, and knowledge, again, a function of time. I feel like I can, I can educate myself academically to know the things that I need to know, but I, that won't get me experience. Um, I'm not independently wealthy. Um, you know, I, I've had a 20 year career, so I had some liquidity, but not enough to just, uh, you know, start things off big. Um, and then I needed the deal and I didn't know how to talk to brokers, how to find deals, any of that stuff. So those were all blockers. And I feel like you, you know, in the early days, I, I like to focus on, um, focus on one thing kind of have blocks of time or, or periods of time, right? Like, so maybe this month or this two week period, I'm going to be heads down on moving my deal finding and my acquisition um, process forward. And, and, you know, I'm just trying things and what works, what doesn't work and, and see how far I can get that. I'm going to spend another couple of weeks on marketing to investors and capital because I don't, I'm not independently wealthy. And so I got to, I have to find investors to work with and see, see if I can move that forward. Um, and you, once you start doing that and trying to move e each little bucket forward a little bit, you, you know, you'll find that, okay, this one is going pretty well. Like, well, you know, all, a lot of my technology friends are interested in real estate. I've been talking about it for a couple of years now. I'm trusted as far as you know, I've been working with them for a long time. They, they know me, they trust me. So, okay, well the capital piece, you know, maybe I have the capital piece um, handled better than I thought, but man, I hate talking to brokers. I hate being on the phone. I do not want to be calling sellers. It's not how I want to be spending my time. I'm just never going to be doing it if I'm responsible for that. That's a blocker, right? And so, you, you know, you, you, once you start doing things, the problems that are kind of amorphous become concrete and you can, then you, when you have a concrete problem in front of you, then you can come up with concrete solutions or at least, you know, throw some things against the wall. So, you know, I, I probably had little bumps in all of those paths, those buckets. You know, I, I was fortunate again for my, for my technology network that, that I did have access to capital that was willing to invest in me without the experience. Um, and I had also networked locally. I started a meetup locally, you know, put my own, time and effort into to to um to further my own um kind of thought leadership and and network um and then on the acquisition side you know working with other local investors kind of proving my value to them um you know by being consistent with my efforts and and showing that i wasn't just some fly-by-night you know person that wants to thinks they can just get rich off real estate without any work you know really just showing who i was made them comfortable to, uh, to pull me in on an investment that they had, which is how I got my first uh, 16 unit code GP I was working with people that were already active in the area and, and you know, showing that, that I could provide value. And then you know, on the, um, on the deal acquisition side, you know, finding somebody who was willing to do that work in exchange for a slice of the pie down the road. So I knew deal acquisitions and cold calling, I was never going to be that person. So, um, you know, I had to partner with, just like I wanted to partner with a GP to get in my first deal, I also needed to partner with somebody to fill out another area of weakness I had at the time and will continue to have, which is, you know, hopping on the phone and, and being that, that tip of the spear salesperson. Um, so, you know, what bumps did I have? All of them, right? Because, because that, that's just the nature of the business. But if you kind of break it down and you're, you're, you're systematic in how you approach solving these issues, then um, it, it's certainly something that, again, over time, you can you can definitely build to overcome. I think for everyone listening, including myself, please listen back to those couple of minutes. There's so much to unpack in there. Um, there's really a lot. 
you, you talked about at the beginning of this uh, podcast was the transparency is the main thing you brought from your previous career to your new one. And that's kind of helped you fill that capital bucket. Uh, and I think when a lot of times myself, including when you read tech, it's like, oh, what systems and tools and gadgets do you bring? You brought transparency, a very common factor in every business that you're in, which has helped fill that capital bucket. And you talked about that first deal that you did. Um, with that first project, what type of value did you actually provide other investors? Like, I'm, I'm curious just to dive into those processes. Like, what value did you add? And now currently um, with, with Flywheel Equity, how have you built out, that, built out that team to create a process where you can be more hands-off on the areas, areas that you feel mm -hmm. you, you want to pass off to somebody else and incentivize? Yeah, great question. So in the beginning, the value that I brought to the team that that was part of my the first uh, co-GP opportunity that I have was that um, I was both local. So this was a group that had that used to be local, but had since moved out of the area, but they still had relationships and were still interested in investing in this area of North Carolina. Um, so I so they had moved out, but we had established a working relationship, had looked at different properties in the past. So we were trusted to each other. So when they moved out, but still had this opportunity and wanted to move forward on it, I could be the boots on the ground. Um, I'm also serving as, as kind of the, the, ask the, the financial specific part of asset management, right? So looking at the financials, making sure that the P&Ls, the balance sheets look good, just being that second set of eyes over the accounting and the bookkeeping. Um, I'm also the kind of liaison with the property manager. I'll say the local liaison, right? When there needs to be a site visit or we need to check on the quality of some of the rehabs or just every once in a while, you know, um, just have an impromptu drive by the property to make sure that things look good, then it, it's easy for me to do that. And, and they have they have a team that that handles some of the more perfunctory aspects of, of asset management around, you know, rehabs and the specifics there. But it's always good to have, um, you know, boots on the ground to, to lay eyes on the property when necessary. So that's kind of what I'm providing. And then there's also some, uh, some upfront work too around the investor presentation and local market research and things like that that I was able mm -hmm. to provide. Um, so that, that was how I got in on that first one. And now flipping to the other side, like the things that, that are how I'm growing my team. Um, I, I'm, I'm definitely very cognizant of needing to scale, but being very deliberate about how that's done. So the, the most, um, draining or, uh, yeah, you know, the, the part of my last job that weighed on me the most was definitely the, the human aspect. It's, you know, when you're when you're part of a large organization, I think when I left the engineering department, it was about you know 40 people um, around there. You know that that's that's a lot of humans that lead, that need lots of things all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, to be a big company, obviously e each person can bring value to the organization and is producing something of value. But one of the benefits of our industry is is the flexibility and how much you can do even when you're small. So I, I'm very much um, not just growing indiscriminately. I'm like, okay, I, here I am in Flywheel Equity. Um, I know I want somebody that is good at acquisitions. So I've started, um, I've partnered with somebody and brought them into the fold to help me with acquisitions. And you know, I, can, I can assign them goals and we work together to figure out, hey, strategically is Flywheel Equity point in the right direction? What do we need to change? What do we need to do? So they're, they're handling that part of, me, uh, of, of the group. Right now, because it's early stage, I have 80 units under management right now. You know, hopefully in, in 2021, I, I can get to 250 or so. 
but right now it's it's uh, not enough work, not so much work that I have to outsource everything. And I like to know that I can do every aspect of the business before I ask somebody else to do it. So so I've done a little bit of on the acquisitions front and broker front. I, I've handed that off pretty quickly to somebody else. I'm at this stage doing most other parts. I enjoy most other parts, investor marketing and you know, raising capital, operations, um, you know, process, being a, I'm very much a systems thinker. And so I, I want to feel the pain of these areas first, start to put initial processes in place before I hand them off to somebody else. So I, I think the next, the next kind of uh, bucket that I will probably look to outsource or partner or bring somebody into the fold with will be around the marketing front, you know, kind of you know, speaking, speaking with investors or actually I, I want to be the one to speak with investors, but to get the investors in front of me, mm -hmm. all that, that marketing engine is just never been in my wheelhouse. And so that, that's probably the, the next stage for, for flywheel equity is to partner with somebody like that. I think uh, it, it's incredible that, you know, we, we're getting to talk to you and you, you've come from a background of growing businesses in tech and now you're, you're growing your company um, in real estate, of course, and you're doing it off of understanding your strengths and weaknesses by just trying them out. Uh, you know, you, you just told me the same thing that a really good peer mentor of mine um, who has a real estate firm out here told me, do every job at first. It is not efficient at all. You will lose your mind, but you'll at least know how to hire and incentivize that person who you bring on so that you can do the tasks that are most important to you. And I think that that's, a, that's very valuable in, in learning to grow a business. And for a lot of investors out there who want to get in to really get into real estate and operate, I think that's important. No, that's important for us to know. Um, and there's also other investors who, who might listen to this and say, you know what? I'd rather just be an LP and invest in that. Like, I, I don't have all the time for this, but my returns in the market aren't as, really aren't as juicy or aren't as tangible. And, you know, Ryan, Flywheel Equity, and th these are companies with people that I can back because, you know, th they can listen to this and they can understand that you've taken 20 years of knowledge and experience and put it into a company that you're just growing on the back of, you know, being inefficient at first so that you can be efficient later on and it's not just some random company out there that you're just sending your money off to for a 6% return that gets taxed at whatever at the end of the year. Um, there's, there's really a lot to unpack in, in just talking to you. It's mostly mindset related in growing a business. It's like not even, sometimes it's not even just real estate related. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I've obviously been an investor, been an LP and there is comfort in knowing who you're investing with, how they work, you, know, you, you want to understand, understand the values of the people that you're investing with. It's not super, um, I mean, experience is important, but and obviously I'm talking my own book here because you know, I'm a newer entrant into the space. I'm a newer operator. Um, but I would, I would rather invest in a group or a person whose values I know and trust and, and relate to than a massive operator with 20 years of history, but I feel like they're all jerks and they, they don't know me from anybody else. And I'm just a number and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're greedy and they don't really have my, my best interests at heart. And so when I think about building flywheel equity, like I really want to understand every individual's investors goals. Um, I've, I've spoken to some and their goals do not align with, with what returns I think are realistic at this stage in the market for this type of real estate. And I, I tell them that upfront, like it's, it is so much better to 
to have that honesty and that transparency up front and setting those expectations than to just worry about, I just need to get every single possible dollar I can in the front door and I'll worry about the returns later and it'll all be fine, right? Just kind of wave my hands. No, like I'm, I'm educating people first about real estate, about this type of investment. And, um, and I'm, not, you know, I'm not selling anything, I'm, I'm educating. That's how I see my role with the people that I talk to. Um, and you know, hopefully, and there are some, some maybe aspects of how I operate that will turn people off. Maybe I'm too small, maybe I'm too new. That's okay, right? I just, I just don't want to present as something I'm not. And the people that do, uh, that do resonate with how I do business, they'll be great investors and it'll be a really good relationship. You have to think about, like you have to remember, anytime you get into an investment like this with these hold periods, you're entering into a long-term business relationship, right? This is like a business marriage. And so, um, you know, you, you really need to, to know the underlying values of the people you're investing with for, for something of that long-term nature. Yeah, you, uh, you mentioned something interesting as well, um, which was goals, something that we always like to talk about uh, as entry-level investors, if you will. Um, and you did mention uh, having a goal of, of 250 units or so by 2021. So can you talk more about that, how you're going to get there and, and really where you want to end up, um, whether that's 5, 10, 15 years down the line? Yeah. I'm, I'm not somebody motivated by big, you know, big vanity numbers whether it's assets under management, number of units, things like that. But, but they are useful. Some of those numbers are useful in, um, in indicating a certain level of scale, right? So I roughly want to triple my business by the end of next year. So if you go by doors under management, and th this is doors that I am actively managing, right? You have a lot of people out there that talk like their operators and their capital raisers, right? which is a completely viable function in this industry. It could be done really well. I know some really good, good ones and they are business partners more than just capital raisers. So this is not demeaning to that role itself, but I, I have a big issue with how, how trans, again, back to transparency. One of my big issues with, with this industry is that people are not upfront with what their role is in specific deals. Uh, we have a lot of people out there that are talking like they are the deal operators and are the ones that found the deal and, and are going to be have a really active role in the operation of, of these properties. And at the end of the day, they're just connecting investors to syndicators and they're getting a, a cut, right? A cut of the, uh, of the fee for that. Um, again, it can be done well. There's value to be provided there, right? If, if somebody, you know, a wealthy high net worth person doesn't have the time to, to vet every single operator, these razor, this capital razor role could be really valuable in bringing vetted, trusted sponsors to the table, but that just needs to be done a, a lot more transparently. So um, you got me off on a tangent, Jesse. So that is your fault. So I'm going to have to ask you to repeat the question. Not a problem. Um, going back to goals. So, uh, yeah. uh, and you mentioned kind of that you don't uh, harp too much on certain numbers or values. Um, but do you see yourself growing to uh, operating a certain number of units or maybe it's how many markets you want to be operating in? Yeah, so, so um, me and my, my partner Austin, we're, we're talking about this recently and it's something I'm still defining because I don't like the existing metrics, doors under management, assets under management. I want it to be something closer to, um, you know, investor number of investors maybe, or so, because, you know, again, talking about outside in, 
my customers are the investors. So what's important to them, right? Um, you know, they all, there's a disparate set of financial goals that they have. So it's not super easy to say, you know, 12% IRR to all investors, right? That, that, that's, that's not the right goal. So it, it's going to be some marriage or some concept that encapsulates my impact on investors' capital or invest their investors' lives. It's kind of the metric that, that I want to, um, to put in place. So I, it, it's eluding me at the moment, but that's kind of an internal exercise that we're going through to identify what exactly is important to us. So one thing that I was thinking about and just like, I guess kind of going full circle here, you know, in, in being in the tech world and kind of really growing within that space to now like doing something obviously it's business related, but completely different. You know, I'm sure back in your tech days and especially with growing a large company, your why was kind of like doing something that's bigger than yourself. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what your why is now, what gets you motivated day in, day out to, to, to do this grind. Real estate, you know, people may make it seem easy um, at times, but it's, it's certainly not that. So I'm really curious to, to hear you um, expand on, on what your why is and, and what gets you motivated. The, the two things that really motivate me are, you know, reinventing myself and, and or just learning completely new disciplines. So real estate obviously qualifies. The second is challenging the status quo, right? Being there are some things that you can you can see most clearly when you have that fresh perspective, that beginner's mindset. Right, the technology. You know, if we're ever uh, writing up documentation for, for a new product or a new workflow or a process, it would be something that often I would give to somebody who was newer into the company, right, or who didn't really understand our product completely, because that's when you have the questions that all your other users are going to have, right? and so. Um, you know, ch challenging being new into the industry or, you know, not, not having 10 years of um, existing practices and, and, and dogma, you know, just, just accumulated in my mind for this industry really lets me look at it with, with a fresh perspective and, and try to bring in what I know I found that worked for me in technology and worked for me in working with small groups and small teams in technology and applying it here. So, um, th those, those are the things that motivate me. Those aren't necessarily my whys. Um, I, I think it's a bit cliche, you know, to, to say that the why is, you know, lifestyle and time freedom. Um, that is certainly a, a motivating factor for me. Um, but I, I'm more interested in building something that can impact other people's lives through financial freedom and, and, you know, helping other people. And, you know, I have a, I have a daughter and I think, trying to instill in her this contrarian mindset, this ability to question um, existing practices, know when to question, question existing practices and know when to recognize existing practices are in place for a reason, right? That, that's, that's a very nuanced determination to make, um, but it's something that when I look back over my career, um, it's something that I feel like has, um, you know, has benefited me. And so I would like, I would like real estate and, and, this perspective on investing in general to be something that that I can imbue in in her as she you know, as she grows up and um, you know is kind of exposed to dinner time conversations about about these types of things. 
Yeah, you, you brought up uh, an interesting point and you've kind of been touching back on it uh, throughout several um, speaking points here, but uh, the, the industry of, of real estate itself is kind of a, a boys and girls club um, and you're really trying to break in with that transparency um, and try to align everyone, make sure everyone's on the same page uh, and, and just create goals that you're comfortable with, your investors are comfortable with, the people that you invest in are comfortable with um, and, and it's refreshing, honestly, to, to hear someone in the space uh, who's trying to expand um, and, and spread not only uh, their portfolio, but also the knowledge side of it um, to other folks. So we really appreciate you coming on. Um, and this was awesome uh, to, to anybody that's listening. Um, really pay attention give it a second run through. There's a lot of information to break down here um, and, and certainly reach out to either uh, Ryan or us at uh, carried interest podcast at gmail.com. Um, and Ryan, if you'd like to uh, post your, your website information um, or your contact information, we can certainly do so in our show notes. Uh, but his website for anyone listening right now is flywheeleq.com. Check it out. Uh, check out his about page. Um, he's got some investor information on here, uh, as well as his portfolio, um, and certainly sign on uh, to his uh, newsroom. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jesse. And, and also real quick, just to plug, uh, you know, again, keeping with the theme of transparency on my site, I have some resources for both passive investors and potential active investors. If you go to the investors tab, uh, I share a lot of some of my, my early work in different areas of the country, how to measure strong growth, some, you know, some, if you're a spreadsheet type, got, got some of that goodie in there. Uh, and then also some, uh, some options there. If you want to walk through underwriting of a small multifamily that you're looking at, be more than happy to look over your shoulder for a little bit and just get you comfortable with the underwriting process. So lots of options there for investors, no matter where you are on the stage. Again, I'm, I'm just trying to share what I've learned so far and, and hopefully carry that forward. Ryan, we, we really appreciate it. And, you know, we're, we're going to sign off here soon, but a, a big portion of what you're telling us is passive and active. You know, everyone has a different side of nature, whether you want to be very hands-on an operator or an LP and simply invest. And that's just knowing how you want to trust and verify in this industry, which is something you said you, you didn't, you didn't want to, you know, the stock market returns didn't make sense for you. Your nature is hands-on move a hundred miles an hour and you're doing it, but other people can be passive. So Really appreciate you just coming on and showing us the two different methods of doing so. And the fact that you provide education for people who want to take both paths or one versus the other. Again, that's for anyone listening, flywheeleq.com where they can find your company. Um, really such a pleasure. And I hope we can have you on again next year when you're 250 units in and just talk about how you scaled at that point. Sounds good. I look forward to it. I'm holding you to it on this one All over right. here. That's how, that's how we get you. Accountability, I like it. And that is today's episode. If any of you current and future investors want us to talk about any specific real estate topics you're interested in or to ask us questions like, Jesse, how do you get your hair to stay so perfect? Nate, what's your favorite shaving cream? Feel free to email us directly at carriedinterestpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, that's carried interest podcast at gmail.com. I'm telling you the Google sponsorship is well on its way. Please tune in next time for more real estate knowledge. Thanks for listening to carried interest. Peace out and go build some equity.